a really important question to begin with this morning, so I hope you'll take the time necessary to consider it fully. What's your favorite dessert? And don't just shrug this one off. You really, you, this is an important thing, folks. What's your important dessert? What's your favorite dessert, I should say? You don't have to say out loud. You don't have to compare notes. Um, think of it, though. Get in your head. Is it ice cream? Some people, a lot of people like different ice creams. Is it cake? Pie? Pastries of some kind? Although I don't think donuts or other pastries are desserts. They are breakfast. All right, so you got it in your head. You're picturing that your favorite dessert in your mind. Are you hungry? It's making you hungry. So here's the question I have for you about your favorite dessert. Why do you like it? Why do you like your favorite dessert? What is it about it that you like so much? There might be a number of things you like about it. You might like the flavor or the combination of the flavors. You might like the texture of it. Maybe it's crunchy or maybe it's fluffy or... Maybe you like sweet flavor or sweet with salty. I don't, what is it you like about your favorite dessert? I want you to notice something, though. When you're thinking about those things, what you like about your favorite dessert is not the same thing as why you like that. That one's a little bit harder to answer. Like, say, for example, you're like me, you like chocolate cake. Got an amen on chocolate cake. You like the richness of the chocolate flavor and the light uh, yet dense chocolate sponge that holds up that chocolate buttercream only. Any other kind of frosting is heresy. <laughs> Whipped, buttercream. Now, see, that's what I like about chocolate cake, or what you might even like about chocolate cake. But why do we like it? Why is it that we can enjoy sitting? A chocolate cake, and the person next to us says, I, you know, I'm not into it. You can have it. There's no explaining it, really. The fact is, you taste it, uh, and it tastes good, and you enjoy it. And, and you might even say, well, that's my favorite. But, but the reason you like it, you don't know, and, and frankly, it doesn't really even matter, does it? Does it bother you that you don't know why, when you put your favorite dessert in your mouth, that it hits your palate and your taste buds send a signal to your brain, and maybe at the same time, your olfactory receptors in your nose are catching a whiff of it, and they're sending another signal to your brain, and your brain is saying, you're happy. Do you, do you want to know why that's all happening? You, at that point, you don't even care, do you, why, why that's all happening? You're enjoying it. The person next to you is going, I don't know, I don't get it, Whatever. You got your thing, I got my thing. It doesn't bother you that you don't know why. It doesn't bother you that, it, that you don't know why you like the dessert you like. You're just glad you get to enjoy it. And no, we're not handing out dessert, so you will leave disappointed. I'm sorry. This is what I want you to think about this. The Bible says we're made in the image of God, and our ways and our form in some way and in many ways communicate what God is like in ways that no other part of creation can do. The fact is that we enjoy things, and we enjoy particular things to the exclusion of other things, and this is one of the ways that we are, in fact, like our Father. God enjoys things. There are things He likes. There are things that He takes a pleasure in. 
I don't know if you knew this or not, but did you know that one of the things that God enjoys or one of the things that God favors is you? And it, of course, at this point, it may seem a little bit silly to compare it with our favorite dessert that sits in front of us, but we have to understand God's view of us. He sees us. And he gets that same sense of anticipation and that same sense of, of, of joy Th- that he sees us and gets to spend time with us and he anticipates it and looks forward to it. He says, I get to be with them and I'm going to enjoy it and he looks forward to it. He favors us. And, and we might even say this, if you're like most of us, you would say, well, why does God favor us? Why would God anticipate us or enjoy us? Why would God favor me? What's funny is it doesn't bother us to think, well, I like chocolate cake, deal with it. But we we question God's motives when we find out He might favor us. Well, what's He up to? What does He want? It's just the way He is. He just favors us. He loves us. And what I want us to see today in God's Word where He makes known to us the way in which the Son, Christ, uh, became a man that He might bear the sin of the world is I want us to know that God favors us, and so what should we do with that? If God does favor us, which He does, the Bible makes abundantly clear, what do we do with that? And and the answer is simple. It's the title of the message today. God favors us, so we worship with joy. We worship with joy. So let's take a look at this passage and what occurs between Mary and the angel and her worshipful song a little bit later in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to see what it means to worship with, with joy, um, God who favors us. And So let's start with this here at the beginning in verse 26 of chapter 1. You might need to be reminded as we look at Mary's story with the angel that God does, in fact, favor you. So let's begin in verse 26. We'll say it this way. We'll summarize it this way. Worship with, with joy... God who shows you favor. Worship with joy, God who shows you favor. Notice what the angel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. It's an interesting greeting. In fact, it's so interesting that later on, Mary has to take time to ponder it. And what did you just say? The angel says this to you, her. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I was in a small group with a group of other guys uh, some months ago, and people were going around sharing because that's what you do in these small groups. People are saying things that God was doing in their life and these sort of things. And this one fella was sharing, and he said this. It's nobody here, so you don't have to worry that I'm going to say something you shared. Russell. No, it wasn't Russell. I'm kidding. (laughs) This was in a different city. So anyway. We're going around, this guy's sharing some things. Uh, not everything was going well in, life, but in his life, but a number of things in his life were really taking a turn for the positive. And he says, you know what? He said, this is the only way I can say it. I feel like I'm God's favorite. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm God's favorite. And I don't know why, but that stuck with me. First of all, I said, no, you're not. <laughs> but when he said that, what, what rang, what, why that stuck with me is that sounded like God to me. Not him talking. The way he described God's dealings with him, I said, that's the God I know from the Bible. Where when he deals with you, you're left with that impression. Oh, I must be God's favorite, because why in the world would he be so good to me? And see, this is what God is like, and this is what is revealed about God's nature when the angel greets Mary. Greeting, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
See, Mary experienced the favor of God in this moment because of who God is. Mary experienced the favor of God in this moment not because of her personal piety, her personal ability to observe some sort of religious structure. The angel is communicating to Mary, God is favorable towards you because that's what God is like. God is God who favors. In fact, look at what Mary says down in verse 48 of Luke 1. This is in the middle of the song that she wrote. Uh, This worshipful, joyful song she wrote is response to God's favor. In verse 48, Mary says this, God has looked on the humble estate of His servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. What she is saying is God has seen my estate. Everybody in the world who might examine Mary's condition would say her situation is the humblest of situations. By the world's standards, she was uh, humiliated in her estate. Her, uh, her, her position in the social order and in the economic order and in the political order and in the social order was all very humble. And she's saying, God has looked on me, one who does not deserve favor, and he has blessed me because in spite of that, God has favored me. What Mary is saying, she knows about God that maybe some of us need to be reminded of. God's favor doesn't reveal what she is like. God's favor reveals what God is like. This is really important because most of us growing up in the church, we're told Mary got to carry Jesus and was visited by an angel because she was so, so good. Mary was a sinner, no different than you or me. Mary needed to be redeemed by God. Mary needed a Savior to be born and die for her sin. Mary did not deserve to be favored by God in this way than any of us might deserve to be favored by God. And Mary knew it, knew it and when she wrote, he looked on the humble estate of her servant. She is saying, I, I didn't deserve this. God has favored me? That tells us what God is like. God is kind to the lowly, those who are lowly, not just economically and socially, but also those who have an understanding of their own heart, who look in their own heart and see it. I know what I'm supposed to be like, and I know I've got most of the people in my life fooled, but when I look at my heart in the quietness of my own moments, God and I know what's going on, and I, I don't deserve to be favored. And Mary, knowing that, writes a song to God and says, God, you know what's going on in there. You know I wanted to punch Joseph in the face when he wouldn't get on board with the game plan. He said, well, Mary wouldn't want to punch Joseph. No, she, I can't rule it out. God's favor doesn't reveal what we are like. It reveals what God is like, that he is kind to the lowly. Look at what her cousin Elizabeth says in verse 42 of chapter 1. Of course, we know Elizabeth is very old, but she is also pregnant with John the Baptist. And after Mary discovers by the angel that she is going to carry the Messiah, she goes to live with her cousin Elizabeth. And as she's arriving at Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth, this it says at the end of verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So Elizabeth, by the Holy Spirit, looks at Mary's situation and says, Oh, you are blessed. You are blessed. Now, real quickly here, we have to understand what blessing means in the Bible. Otherwise, we'll misunderstand what Elizabeth was saying. Nowadays, when we think of being blessed, it means we've received something that is a blessing. We think of somebody, I've received something good. We might say something like this, oh, God has blessed me. I finally got the promotion I've been gunning for. Another word for that kind of blessing is this. You've heard it before. That's called a humble brag. God has finally seen fit to bless me with that which I deserve. I've worked hard. I've been tireless. And now finally, God has poured out on me a blessing for which I have earned. You know what? We took our kids to church every week, family devotions, grounded them once a week whether they needed it or not. They turned out great. I'm so blessed my kids turned out great. What did I just say? I'm so blessed that God saw fit to guide my children in the manner in which I parented them. Somehow, we take what God's blessing is and turn it around and show how amazing we are. We're so blessed. That's not blessing in the Bible. Blessing in the Bible is always undeserved. Blessing is always undeserved. In fact, I would say it this way. If you are receiving from God that which you deserve, you are not being blessed. You are being properly compensated. When you get paid from your boss after putting your hours in, do you say he blessed you? No, you say we're square. I work, you pay. That's how this arrangement works. He's not blessing you. He's properly compensating you. If God is merely compensating you for what you have done, you are not blessed, and we are never experiencing the joy of God in him compensating us. There is no joy in earning God's favor. The joy is discovered when God blesses us and we don't deserve it. There is blessing in saying, I got promoted. Boy, if they knew what kind of a lazy bum I am. That's a blessing. I don't know what God's up to. I don't deserve this promotion. See, I would never say that. You might say this. I can't believe my kids turned out halfway decent. No, serious. I made, I, I'd say my parenting was a train wreck, but that insults train wrecks around the world. But they, I, can't, I don't know what happened. I don't know. How, God, I'm just so blessed. There's a popular Christmas movie. Many people, not all, watch this time of year and tells the story of a man who expects at the end of the year his annual Christmas bonus. Don't say the name of the movie. I'll get in so much trouble. And what does he do with his anticipated bonus? He hasn't received it yet. What he has done is he has taken his money out of his savings and he has put a down payment on a new pool, non-refundable, knowing that his Christmas bonus is coming. Then it is announced at his employer, we're not giving out Christmas bonuses this year. And his response, well, I don't want to give away the end of the movie. He gets upset. Was that Christmas bonus a blessing? No, it was earned. 
And he was owed it. And that's why he got angry and upset because he didn't receive what he was owed. Receiving what you were owed is not a blessing. Mary did not receive what she was owed. She was not owed the Messiah because she was so good. She was blessed to carry the Messiah even though she wasn't. Blessing is not stuff. Blessing is that God shows us his favor by giving us his presence and calling us into relationship with him even though we don't deserve it. And this is why Mary can cry out, Oh God who saw me in my humble estate. Not that she was just broke. She needed God because she was broken. And God reached down and showed his favor. And so she worshiped with joy God who shows his favor. We have to be reminded that Jesus' birth reminds each and every one of us that we are favored, that he looks at us with delight, that he would send his son into humiliation, that he might encounter us and we might encounter him and experience the blessing of his presence. In fact, this is what we discover in the next part of this. First, we said this. Let me just remind you. We worship with joy. God who shows you favor. Next, let's think about this. We worship with joy. God who lifts you up. So God shows you favor, and he sends Christ in the humblest of ways that we might be able to encounter him in the midst of our our humiliation and our brokenness. But he doesn't leave us there. We worship with joy. God who lifts us up. Look at verse uh, 35 of... Luke chapter 1. Mary said this to the angel after the angel told her that she would carry the Messiah. Mary asked a very straightforward and expected question. It wasn't a cynical question like we saw from Zechariah. It was a question of how is this going to work? How will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So God is going to do the impossible, and Mary, who has not had relations with Joseph, is going to become pregnant. That's miraculous. It's so miraculous that certainly no one's going to believe her. I doubt Mary was the first one in the first century or around this time of, uh, of this occurring where there was a, a great expectation of the Messiah, the first one to be discovered to be pregnant, and that, well, you know, I'm carrying the Messiah. No one's going to buy that. But with joy, she received this message from the angel knowing that God miraculously and with His power was going to have her carry in her own body the Messiah himself. So this was powerful, and it was miraculous, and she in her humble state was now lifted up to have the presence of God himself in her. And yet, the lifting up of Mary in this moment was not a lifting up according to the world. Notice what the angel did not do. The angel did not put an update on Mary's Facebook page She is with child from God himself. Who did the angel tell? No one. I mean, he goes to Joseph in a minute. But wouldn't it have been a little more convenient for Mary if maybe at least to tell the neighbors? Maybe a couple of doors down to vouch for her that an angel... But the angel tells no one. 
A few months down the road, Mary's going to look how pregnant women look. Hey, guys, just remember, this is, this is free. When is it okay to ask a woman if she's pregnant? Some of you guys don't know this yet. After she's given birth. That is when it's okay. Oh, you were pregnant. Oh, wow, we wouldn't. Hmm. That is free right there, guys. Tuck that one away. No, you wouldn't believe how many people don't get that yet, right? She gives birth. Now you can ask. If she tells you, oh, looks surprised. Okay, you're welcome. That has nothing to do with that. That was a complete distraction. Center, come back to it. All right. So the angel didn't announce it to everybody. The angel didn't tell others. Is Mary going to experience shame as an unmarried virgin who is with child? Oh, yeah. Notice in God's lifting up of Mary in her humble estate, He's not lifting her up according to the standards the world might uh, set out. He's lifting her up into His perfect plan of redemption for, for humankind, and it's better than anything this world might offer, but it doesn't make operating in this world any easier. In fact, her own husband, when he discovers that she is with child, makes plan to divorce her. Uh, speaking well of his character, he's going to divorce her quietly and just sort of slip out of the picture, but nonetheless, he's abandoning her. In many ways, it could have been a death sentence for her and the child. Her family would have had to reject her, kick her out of the home. She would have had no man uh, to provide for her uh, in that time period. That was critically important. Look with me over at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, where the, the angel talks to Joseph. When Christ's mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child. The three cloaks weren't doing it the job anymore. It was discovered. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. He decided he's going to divorce her quietly. But as he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So here we have this great blessing that Mary and Joseph are going to now experience together. Husband and wife, carrying a child that is not Joseph's, in the midst of a world who has not been told what's going on. I mean, a few people know, but most people are going to see Mary and Joseph and shake their heads when they see them in the market. Oh, really? What's our country coming to? We worship with joy God who lifts up, but we must understand as we look at the encounter of Mary and Joseph with the angels, he's lifting them up, but not in the way that this world would say, this is how you're lifted up. You're lifted up to glory and honor and money and acclaim and power and reputation. And, and none of these things happen for Mary and Joseph. And nonetheless, they are lifted up into the perfect work of God and His plan of salvation for humankind. Look how Mary says it in verse 51 of Luke 1 in her song. This is what Mary says about the situation. God has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And He has exalted those of humble estate. What Mary is saying is God's strength is on display. That God would see fit to send God the Son through a virgin 
displays the power of God to destroy the lofty places in spite of the fact that this is all hidden from the world. No one out there knows about it. No one out there understands that this plan has not been broadcast to the masses. In fact, we know from reading through the Gospels, most people thought the Messiah was going to come in glory and power and might. This was a total mystery. And Mary is saying, this is a blessing that God has seen fit to do this humbly in and through those who are of humble estate because now his power will really be on display. See, Mary was not saying, I'm going to someday be lifted up. Someday this is all going to work out and I'm going to experience the glory of God. What was she saying in that moment? I am lifted up right now. When I walk out the door and my neighbors won't talk to me, when I walk out the door and nobody understands what's going on, I'm a part of something God is doing that's incredible. And she had faith to see it and understand it and believe it. We worship with the joy God who lifts up, knowing full well that oftentimes His lifting of us is not according to the ways the world says we are uh, lifted up. Very quickly, and you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read it. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want to show you why I'm talking about this. In Deuteronomy 8, of verse 7, God is sharing with the people of Israel what they're going to experience in the promised land. I'm going to read it, and it's going to make you hungry again because it's all about food. This is what God says to His people. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing in and out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat, and you will be full, and you will, show, and you will bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. And this is the blessing and the lifting up we all want, don't we? God, do a powerful work in my life that this week I would live in a land of milk and honey. That my land would be blessed, that my hands would be blessed, that I would sit back and be full. This is what we often think of. How, this is how God lifts up. This is what it means to be lifted up and to be blessed and it can be that way, but we have to understand the warning of God in verse 14 of Deuteronomy 8. He says, take care. Take care that your heart won't be lifted up and that you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So what God says, I want you to understand, I'm, because you're my people and I'm going to use you to bring the Messiah to redeem the world, I'm going to put you in a land and I'm going to bless your socks off but I want you to be really, really careful because you're going to get full and you're going to be happy and you're going to forget that I brought you out of Egypt, that I led you through the wilderness, that I fed you and I gave you water and your heart will be lifted up and you'll forget me. And that's not what was happening to Mary because she was lifted up and she wasn't receiving all those things. God's lifting up is wholly different than we might define. This is how the Apostle Paul defined it in Ephesians chapter 2. God being rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him. Raised up. Lifted up. He raised us up with Him. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What the Bible tells us, in our humble estate, God has seen fit through Christ to lift us up to the highest place in all of creation. He has lifted it up, excuse me, lifted it us up there. I don't know why that word is so hard to say. That's his plan. His plan is to bless us, even though it's undeserved. His plan is to show us kindness, even though it's undeserved. His plan is to favor us, because that's what he's like, by lifting us up into the heavenly places for all of eternity. People will come up to God and say, so God, what are you into? And he says, look at what I did. I lifted up these folks out of the humblest of places. I favored them. I said, why would you do this? I don't know. That's what I'm into. We worship with the joy. Uh, we worship with joy. God who lifts us up. But we have to be very, very careful to properly understand what that lifting up means. Because when we say lifting up and, and God working a powerful work in our lives has to equal A, B, and C for D for me. It means enough money, enough food, enough housing, whatever it might be for you. God is saying, oh no, I've got bigger plans than that. And Mary understood this. God in his strength is moving in her to bring the Messiah to bear in spite of the fact that the world couldn't see it. We worship God who lifts us up to himself and we have to settle on answering this question in our own hearts. Is he enough? If his plan is to redeem us and favor us that we might have all of him, the question that we have to ask in our own hearts, is God enough? And when that discontentment and that frustration comes oozing out of us, which it often does, we have to be honest and repent. God, I want more than you. Make me like Christ. Make it so you're enough. All right, we worship with joy. God who shows us favor, we worship with joy. God who lifts us up. And finally, let's look at this. We worship with joy. God who offers mercy. Again, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. It's the last verse that we had read this morning. And Mary said this. Behold, I'm your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary says to the angel, Behold, I am your servant. Let what you have said happen according to your word. I want us to, want us to understand clearly what Mary did not say. She did not say this. Behold, that sounds about right, based on the great way I've lived my life. I mean, I feel like I've been hitting it out of the park in terms of religion. So yeah, yeah, angel. Gabe, I think, we got, I think we've come to terms. Yeah. And you know what? Frankly, I think I'm going to be able to hold up my end of the deal on this, so I think we're going to handle this. I think you and I are going to make a good team. She doesn't say that. What does she say? Behold, I am your servant. What does a servant mean? Say, I don't know what you're up to, but, but I'll, do what, I'll do what you call me to. A servant is not one who is operating because they deserve the assignment. A servant is not one who is operating because they can make demands on the one who has called them to something. A servant is one who says, wow, okay, you're the boss. You, you know what's got to be, and if I'm the one, I'm the one. And behold, let it be to me according to whose word? 
your word. That is, let this happen not according to my goodness or my ability to pull this off or my skill set or my spiritual gifts or any of Let this happen because you said it will. Okay, so when this isn't working, guess what? It's not on me, angel. That's on you. Let this happen because you said it will happen. Because your word, God, is more certain than my ability to follow it. And this is Mary's cry. This is her saying, I will worship this with joy. This God who shows so much mercy, he gives me an assignment I don't deserve and the power to do an assignment I can't pull off. This is how she says it in her song down in Ephesians. Luke 1, verse 50. Look at verse 50 down in Mary's song of worship. God's mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary's worship is to say God has shown mercy to those who fear Him. You say, well, why does she need to fear God? She seems favored. Why would you need to fear someone who is showing you favor? And we have to understand that Mary understood something we often forget. Mercy is not deserved. Not only that, mercy is not something God is required to show. A reverent fear of God has this as an understanding. Without God deciding on His own, independent of my actions, that He just, because that's what He's into, He's just going to show mercy. Without that happening, I'm toast. And Mary says, He has shown me mercy, and I know how precarious my situation would have been had He not shown me mercy. Mercy was not deserved and it was not required of God. God did not find himself in a pickle where he had to show mercy even though he didn't want to. God decided on his own regard by his nature and his character, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to show favor because that's what God is like. The events of Mary and the events of the birth of Christ, her humble estate and the, and the humble account of Christ being born in Bethlehem in a, and being placed in a manger... This tells us the kind of incarnation, that means uh, Jesus becoming a man, it tells us that He is merciful to the humble and He is merciful to the low because Jesus came and was mercifully humble and low. We worship with joy because we are lowly. We worship with joy because God stooped to redeem us. We don't lift a hand to try and reach God. He stoops down in His mercy and grace to redeem us out of our depths and out of the darkness. Jesus said it this way later on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We often call this the Beatitudes. And He describes in a little more detail this viewpoint of seeing ourselves from God's perspective. Jesus opened his mouth and said this in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. I just want to point this out just very briefly here in the Beatitudes is this. It's completely impossible. I mean, just read it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll be uh, uh, 
they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. How will those impoverished in spirit be able to inherit the kingdom of the universe? How is that even remotely possible? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, how will they find comfort? Well, sure, we mourn and we experience comfort, but if anyone in the room has ever mourned before, you know that mourning, uh, trails of it and tinges of it last forever. We just think we're over it, and then something happens and we're reminded of our sadness and grief. Blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. What are you talking about? If there's going to be battle for planet earth, the meek are going to be hiding in the back of a cave. See, none of this makes any sense because what Jesus is driving at is the victory he's going to achieve through the people he favors is not going to have anything to do with them. The meek are going to inherit the earth because Jesus is with the meek and he is going to take and inherit the earth. What he's saying is the people who are of lowly estate are going to have a king of the same kind and then he will be exalted and those of us, the meek and the poor in spirit and the merciful, he's going to take with him. In order to experience the blessing and the favor of God, the first thing we have to understand about Mary and about ourselves is we have to understand our lowly place. If we're deserving, if we think we have a good reputation, if we think we should be esteemed, we will never be able to experience and see the blessing of God. Even if God is blessing you, even if God is favoring you, If you think you deserve it and you have the right reputation and you ought to be esteemed, you're never going to see it. However, are you meek, poor of spirit, lowly, undeserving? Do you cry that great prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner? Then you will experience the blessing of God even if no one else thinks you're blessed. And that was Mary's story. Say, oh man, God's blessing me. And everybody around is going, what are you talking about? God's making your life harder. Oh, you have no idea. That he would look on someone as low as me? God is blessing my socks off. I must be his favorite. In order to experience mercy, we have to see we need it. We have to have our eyes open to our condition. We have to be open to receive the kind of blessing that God gives And that is this, by His Spirit, we get to have God in us. That Christ redeems us, and so God resides in us. I would say this even more so than God resided in Mary for nine months. That God would look on us so lowly and make His residence in us. Oh, we are lifted up. God has shown great mercy. When we have that viewpoint, when we have a right viewpoint on our lowliness and our need of Him, then He shows us His favor and we see His favor for the first time. His favor that lifts us, lifts us up. So God shows us His favor. Let me close with this. Uh, He sent us exactly the Savior we needed. He sent us a humble Savior. He sent us a humble Savior to our humble estate because we needed someone to come down to where we are and lift us up out of it. 
Even though Jesus, before he came, was lifted high up, he was higher than anyone else, he was willing to stoop down to us to redeem us and forgive us of our sins. We wanted a regal king. We wanted a powerful king. We wanted a king that would finally show everybody we're right, and they're all wrong. But instead, he came as he was supposed to, and as we needed a humble Savior, willing to die on the cross to purchase our salvation, and the ability to powerfully rise from the dead to give us eternal life. God lifts us up with his power, even if no one else can see it or understand it. Even if we would prefer that he would lift us up in a way that would bring us great acclaim in this life, uh, but God is great in that he loves us and he gives us something better than merely great acclaim and uh, being esteemed in this life. He lifts our life up from this place into Christ Jesus, which is in the highest place. And each and every day, he takes the circumstances of our life, the truth of his word, and the power of his spirit, and wants to make us more and more like Christ, because one day we will see him and we will know him. And that's an, impar- that's an incomparable glory. Being made like Christ is an incomparable glory, and it's completely lost on the world around us. You say, well, I can't tell if you believe me or not, so I'll try this. When you're at the coffee shop, somebody, they're going to say, so how you doing? That's what they do. That's their job. That's, that's day one in the training manual. Say, say how you're doing. And all you got to do is this. You know, unbelievable, I'm having the greatest day. I am much more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And see what the response, you, know, you might find a believer there and they say, oh man, that's amazing. Or you're going to get, oh man, that's, that's awesome for you. Sounds, sounds cool, which probably means you're not going to tip very good. It's true. Sorry. Come on, guys. Start. There's another le- this freebie. Start tipping, guys. We can tip. Okay, God is glorified in big tips. Write that. In, you. Where are we? This is, I know it's lost on us because it's hard for us to see with our eyes, but if we believe it and understand it, God offers us mercy, and he does it because he favors us. Of course, we can't explain it, like we said, any more than the fact that we like chocolate cake or apple pie with ice cream. God loves sinners. He sees us, and he gets a little giddy. He's pleased to stoop to us in his mercy and and to cover our sin, to roll it up and dispose of it permanently casting out all of our rebellion and all of our disobedience. God is able to consider each and every one of us his favorite and have it not lose any of its specialness to any of us as individuals. Every one of us will go to God and say, I thought I was your favorite, and he'll say, well, you are. And we'll believe it because it's true. He favors you. He lifts you. He's merciful to you. So we can worship God with great joy. We can echo that angel. And remember, it, uh, as he was speaking to Mary, uh, assuming and understanding that he says it even to us. 
you have found favor with God. I want you to think about that just for a minute. Would you describe your relationship with God that he favors you? Whether or not he does is irrelevant because he does. The question is, can we see it and receive it? You have found favor with God. God. 